And I, I would be, I would probably wet myself if we actually got through all that today. Um, that's not going to happen. Um, I can basically guarantee you that. Uh, but uh, if, let's see here. Uh, I know I've emailed out to at least two people, or three people technically, including my wife, uh, the reading plan that we have. Um, is there anyone here who would like a digital copy? So that you can follow, okay. So if you need a digital copy, I'm gonna, well, I can write this down on here or someplace else, I'll just do it there. So this is, just uh, email me at danschuler, D-A-N-S-C-H-U-L-E-R, 86 at gmail.com. And I will send you one of those. We can also print off like uh, hard copies if if that's useful. Uh, so I uh, want to try and be as accommodating as possible. Uh, but can we print it out? We have them. Outside? I have them here. Oh, there you go. All right, man. Jesse's on top of it. Okay, this is cool. This is really cool. Schuler, Yep, eighty six at gmail.com. Yep, yep. And so, but tonight I want us to try and keep everything as, as, as interactive here as we possibly can. We'll probably get to the stage where we can do more like uh, interaction with all y'all following along with the live stream. So, but we're not there yet, but give us time. We'll, I'm sure we'll get there eventually. So uh, here in Matthew chapter five, uh, verses one through 27, this is the beginning of a larger section of teaching of Jesus' teaching which includes Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7. Uh, and there's typically a name for it. Does anybody know what, 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 what we typically call this? The Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, yeah. Uh, which is an interesting thing uh, because, well, well one, um, Jesus is, is teaching and preaching and is doing his ministry um, in, around like the Sea of Galilee, uh, where there's not really any kind of mountains, but there's a sermon on the mount, um, but that's partly borrowed from what um, from a word that Matthew uses, haros. Everybody say haros. Haros. There we go. Uh, yeah, that's the word for mountain, typically translated mountain. Uh, and not that that's really important that you need to know that, but it's one piece, a larger picture that Jesus is painting about trying to make Jesus kind of look like the new Moses where Moses went up to the mountain and received the law of God and brought it back down and said, not just laws, so you can just obey them and sort of get along with life in a, in a more or less pleasant fashion and, you know, be nice people to the rest of the world, but rather here's the law of God. I want you to live as the covenant people of God. And so that, that, uh, that, you as a people, uh, by, the, by, by your, um, your devotion and belongingness totally and completely to God, you're going to be a light to the nations. Uh, that God's purposes are going to be made, made manifest uh, through you. Uh, that that, that if, if Jesus is, is if by calling this a Sermon on the Mount and, and making uh, uh, Jesus... Um, Making him, I wouldn't say that making him look like uh, um, uh, like Moses, but uh, applying what you call like a Moses typology. That seems to be something that he's doing. But I, I, 
I'm geeking out on you guys too fast. And this is, this gets me in trouble every time. So, uh, but what, what I think part of the problem that we have when we're reading Sermon on the Mount, let's, let's, let's put it this way. Um, you, you can know, like if you ask somebody a question, what is it that Christians believe? What would you rattle off? Okay, yeah, Jesus, yay. <laughs> He's always the answer. Thank you for that Sunday school answer. Anything else? Forgiveness. Forgiveness, yeah, yeah, yeah. Salvation. salvation. They believe in salvation, yeah. They believe in the Holy Spirit, yeah. They believe in, in heaven, right? Uh, we believe in hell. We believe, yeah, in, um, in, in creation, uh, all those things. Uh, so it's pretty clear to think about, oh, yeah, this is what Christians believe. Um, what if you were to ask, what is it that Christians do? That's a harder question, isn't it? In some cases, because the, what you, the, the answer that you're going to get is just so varied, whether, whether you're, you're in one Christian tradition or another, and, and, and it should be simpler, shouldn't it? Where in other words, if you are a Christian, um, that you do, you, you do what Christ does, Right. You're a follower of Jesus, and you start doing the sort of things that 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 Jesus does. So, so that that leads us to do certain things, like making those fun little bracelets. What would Jesus do? Everybody remember those? I used to put I once. This is really geeky. I put two of them together and wore them around like a necklace. I was like, and that trend never caught on. I don't know why. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, yeah. But but what's what, what, what I find interesting about this is that when it comes down to what Christians do, uh, there is this relationship. This uh, Philosophers will, will talk ad nauseum about this, this relationship between being and doing. You be something, and once you be this, that you start doing that. Or is it doing that defines being? Um, and they'll just talk in circles around each other. But, uh, but where was I going with that? Eh, scratch that. Anyway, uh, so, so, but, uh, but, oh, yes, this is it. Where, where it's easy for us as Christians to want to have as much clear instruction about what to do with our lives in order so that we can be the sort of people who call, God would call us to be. Uh, when, when Bryce, you know, if you ever have a boss and they're not specific about what it is that they want you to do, and then you try and follow through with it and it looks nothing like what your boss expected and the boss gets angry, you're like, well, but, but you weren't clear. I, I, didn't, I didn't understand what it is that you, you wanted me to do. And sometimes when we come to read the Bible and finding instructions, it feels kind of like that frustration. Where it's it's um, it's it's not everything is as immediately clear as you might want it to be. What were you going to say, Rob? Or wife? Yes. <laughs> you know, no, that's that's true. That's true. Um, and and but what's what I, what I find also is that typically in 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 a Christian walk, it's easy for us to want to. I wouldn't say. To, to create laundry lists of things to do 
and devote ourselves to following through with those sort of things and say, here, here's what I've done. And therefore, this is a thing that makes me a Christian. And, and that seems to be, I would say, the, 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 the inverse of what it is that, that is described in the Gospels is that is what makes you a Christian is about the work of God that happens in your heart that transforms you from the inside out. And, but the fruit of that transformation amounts to different works, to new works. And so that, that the change that happens from the inside out, you can discern whether or not that that change is measuring to actual growth when you, when you have some kind of model to compare it to, namely Jesus. Are, are, are we all on the same page here? Is this making sense? Okay. Um, and, and this is at least in part one of the things that I think is, is getting at the heart of what Jesus is trying to demonstrate for us in the Sermon on the Mount. And so um, let's, I want to, I'm going to need some eyes that are a little bit closer here to what, um, to what I'm going to do here. This is a sign. Does it look like a sign to anybody? Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Okay. Yeah. Volleyball net playing tennis. That's not what it's going to be. Trust me. So it's not fan. <laughs> no, it's not fan. Yeah. Oh gosh, I haven't seen one of those forever. Um, okay, so uh, but in order to get at not just what the Sermon on the Mount is about and what the Beatitudes are about, and indeed how this fits in the rest of the gospel of Matthew, I want to try uh, uh, using an illustration. How many of you have been Driving down, uh, usually, you know, um, in, in Fort Wayne, it's Coliseum Boulevard. Uh, in in um, in Columbia City, it's either Line Street or more Main Street or or Highway Thirty. And you'll see a sign outside of a business that says something like this. And I'm going to hide it for you, so it'll be a big surprise. Coffee. Something with coffee. Nope, nothing about coffee. There we go. Nope. That would be nice. Yeah. Okay. Who can read that? Under new management. Under new management. Who's ever seen a sign like that before? Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so I think I think we all have. So, it's an interesting thing to advertise, isn't it? I mean, be, because by the time that you're putting up a sign like this, what does it tell you that's been happening at that place? They have a bad reputation. Bad reputation. Uh, what are you gonna say, Luke? Something bad. Something bad is happening. Or was happening. Or was happening. Uh, Trying to improve themselves. Trying to improve, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And but that um, the problem that, that that's been facing, that's giving them this kind of bad reputation. It's not about bad menu options. Uh, it's not about that that there's no more need for their services. It's not about 
uh, whether or not um, uh, maybe there was just a bad employee who needed to get, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, fired so that it fixes the problem. But rather the, the, the issue is one of, of, of who's in charge, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that under new management, that the outcome is expected to be different because of who's in charge. Now, imagine with me a picture that looks like this. And I need a little bit of this. All right. My picture takes a long time, so there we go. All right. <laughs> there we go. And then there we go. You never see a sign under the same management. Right, right. <laughs> Just to remind you. The old manager is still here. Still here. All right. There we go. So. Okay. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> All right. What about something that looks like that? The world. A whole world. If the whole world was under new management, where basically, no, it's not about globalism. No, 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 no. It's it's definitely not about globalism, but rather. Imagining if, no, that basically the, the, the problems and the problems that plague humanity are problems, I wouldn't say like of mismanagement, but because the people who are in charge can't get out of their own corruption. And that the problems just keep going upwards and upwards and upwards and upwards. So that no matter how many new institutions you have or how many new laws that you, you, you enact, uh, we were, Steve and I were actually just talking about this a little bit earlier, where, where no matter how many good laws or rules that you give people, mm -hmm. um, they are prone to manipulate them. They're prone to apply bad hermeneutics. They're, they, they, the, uh, the law itself doesn't actually have power to save anybody because it's, it's made for broken, fallible people. And here's what the Sermon on the Mount, if you could try and encapsulate it, is a picture of a people filled with individuals who actually lived as if God were in charge. In essence, when Matthew is talking about Jesus coming and preaching and saying, the kingdom of heaven, it's near, it's coming, it's among you. That, that phrase, kingdom of heaven, that Matthew uses, and uh, Mark and Luke referring to the kingdom of God. It's, it's, it's like um, God is, is, has come, he's inaugurated his kingdom, and his people live as if God himself were actually in charge. And so that, and the, well, he, indeed he is. And what's interesting about this is that what we can see, even from before the, 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 um, excuse me, even before the, the, 
the Sermon on the Mount, where the ministry of the coming of the kingdom of God is met with resistance, uh, where, where people don't want to acknowledge God's rule. They don't want to, um, to live as if God himself were actually in charge. And so, so what, what we're seeing here, what's, what, what's happening, if, if I can uh, uh, call this like this, is that, that that the transformation that God is indeed indeed wants to bring about it, it's it's it it, it it's brought about through people who take Jesus' call to, to discipleship seriously. Uh, and, and this is, I would say, it's, it's one of the things, one of the reasons why um, the, the Sermon on the Mount is oftentimes called or referred to um, as like the Messiah's Manifesto or a discourse on discipleship, where the picture of the person who's painted here is indeed somebody who's a disciple of Jesus. And uh, also another encouraging point, or you know, it's both encouraging and discouraging at the same time, mm -hmm. where, where this picture of what a disciple looks like and being a citizen of the kingdom of God looks like, uh, that, that uh, you, can, you can just look at what's being described here and then just read the rest of the book and watch the disciples fall short over and over and over and over and over again. Um, it's hysterical. I mean, pathetic, actually. But we're no different. Um, but it's this is the sort of thing, and 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 this is why uh, I think this this sort of thing is so important. Um, uh, because what we're about to read throughout the Sermon on the Mount is indeed. It's radical, it is countercultural, and all of us will fall short of it. But the reason why it's so important, and I'll I'll explain it this way. In Matthew chapter five, and let's see here, I'm gonna make sure I get this right. Chapter 5, verse 48, and it says this, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So with, with words like that, do you feel like that the, the, the mission is impossible before you've even started? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, where... where no matter what kind of ideals or measures of improvement uh, that that is going to be brought out through this, that if perfection is the is is what we're what we're aiming for, that that or if if it won't be complete until we're perfect, then why do we even bother? Uh, that's the, an easy attitude that I think that I've I've probably taken into this, and a lot of people have looked at and said said if if that's the goal, and I can't I can't. Um, deal with this and I'm so sorry I actually have to move 
what everybody is standing on in the that guy right there. There we go. And big surprise, I'm going to read you something that I found immensely helpful. And it comes from the words of C.S. Lewis in the, the Mere Christianity. And it says this. I find a good many people have been bothered by what I said in the previous chapter about our Lord's words. Be ye perfect. Some people seem to think this means unless you are perfect, I will not help you. And as we cannot be perfect, then if he meant that our position is hopeless. But I do not think he he did mean that. I think he meant the only help I will give is to help or excuse me. The only help I will give is help to become perfect. You may want something less, but I will give you nothing less. Let me explain. When I was a child, I often had toothache. And I knew that if I went to my mother, she would give me something which would deaden the pain for that night and let me get to sleep. But I did not go to my mother, at least not till the pain became very bad. And the reason I did not go was this. I did not doubt that she would give me the aspirin. But I knew she would also do something else. I knew she would take me to the dentist next morning. (laughs) I could not get what I wanted out of her without getting something more, which I did not want. I wanted immediate relief from pain, and I could not get it without having my teeth set permanently right. And I knew those dentists. I knew they started fiddling about with all sorts of other teeth, which had not yet begun to ache. They would not yet let sleeping dogs lie. If you gave them an inch, they took a mile. Now, I now if I may put it that way, our Lord is like the dentists. If you give him an inch, he will take a mile. Dozens of people go to him to be cured of some particular sin which they are ashamed of, like masturbation or physical cowardice, or which is obviously spoiling daily life, like bad temper or drunkenness. Well, he will cure it all right, but he will not stop there. That that may be all you asked, but if once you call him in, he will give you the full treatment. That is why he warned people to count the cost before coming Christians. Make no mistake, he says, if you let me, I will make you perfect. The moment you put yourself in my hands, that is what you are in for. Nothing less or other than that. You have free will, and if you choose, you can push me away. But if you do not push me away, understand that I am going to see this job through. Whatever suffering it may cost you in your earthly life, whatever inconceivable purification it may cost you after death, Whatever it costs me, I will never rest, nor let you rest, until you are literally perfect. Until my father can say without reservation that he is well pleased with you, as he said, he was well pleased with me. This I can do and will do, but I will not do anything less.
And so the picture that's what's being painted is not a list of rules or criteria to say, once I am perfect and I do all these things like a checklist, this is what's going to get me into the kingdom of heaven. But it's more like saying, here's a picture of what life in God's kingdom looks like. What life as if God's, uh, if, if God were in charge, this is what we would do. This is the sort of people we will be. And to say, anyone can come. This is the fascinating bit. Uh, as we're reading through in Matthew chap chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, that the crowds are following him, but Jesus is addressing his disciples while the crowds are still out on, on the, the outermost. So it's like they're eavesdropping or listening in to what life like discipleship is like. And it's like they're meditating in their hearts. Am I in for this? Am I going to go in for the full treatment? Do I really want to live my life as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Am I going to live my entire life as if God were in charge? Do I truly believe that the kingdom of heaven is here and that I'm going to follow through with, with obedience? I'm going to allow God to make me into this sort of person who's described here? Is this, am I going to allow God to follow through with this? And if we say yes, this is what he'll do. But it's not going to be anything less than this. And uh, it, it, it's, it's for this reason that I think it's so important for us to, to read the, the Sermon on, a, on the Mount in a way that is neither uh, uh, extinguishes all of our hopes or rather elevates them so high that we feel as though that this is something that we can actually master and that we can, um, we can be the agents who, in a word, with our moral effort, uh, lasso the, the, the kingdom of heaven down and start pulling it and saying, we did this by our effort. Uh, like, you know, the, the, was it, um, uh, in, um, the, um, uh, it's a wonderful life. Talk about lassoing the moon and want to pull it down for you. Uh, why can't I think of his, the actor's name? Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. Thank you. Yeah. We're not bringing the kingdom of God like that, but rather the kingdom of God is coming and the choice to be a part of it is ours. Oh, and lastly, uh, this is, I, I think, the, 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 the one point that I want you to, to think about in this case. As you're reading the Sermon on the Mount, in your head, you can be basically filling in this outline. Anybody ever um, play? I know people have played Pictionary. My niece and nephew have this Pictionary doll if you want to, uh, it, it's it's blank and you can draw on it and you can turn it to whoever it is that you want. Mm -hmm. it, 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 are the only one who's ever seen something like that? I mean, it's it's like a, a person whiteboard kind of thing where you can just draw whatever you want on him. And, and do they ever play Pictionary with it? No, because they just, you know, use it for doodling like they always do. But in this case, imagine you have this, this, this blank image and said, okay, this is what a disciple of Jesus Christ looks like. I'm, I'm going to take this person. He, he, this is how he lives because this is who he is. 
as you're reading through the Sermon on the Mount. And then ask yourself, this person that you've, you've described and you've painted, is this the sort of person you want as a husband, as a wife, as a best friend, as a coworker, as a neighbor, as a president, as an employee, as a street sweeper, as the you know, as your dentist, uh, like the person that's described here, is this the sort of person that you would want to live with? And I, I guarantee you. Um, that the person that you're going to describe or, or paint out at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount is someone you would, is just the sort of person that you want to be joined at the hip at. This is the sort of person you want to be around. This is the sort of person you want to do life with. And this is the sort of person that Jesus calls each and every one of us to be. Now, what it takes to be there, uh, a fascinating question, and the, the extent of it um, is, 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 is well beyond the scope of my uh, feeble imagination. But if we allow God to bring about his work and to be a part of what he's doing, he'll do it, however long it takes. Uh, but the real question is, if we're going to to allow God to bring about those types of changes from the inside out so that we can be conformed to the image and the likeness of his son. And if it's ever going to happen, it's going to happen through our actions. All right. That are guided by ethics. And righteousness and uh i promise we're going to get into what time is it anyway golly i'm i do this every time one day okay um no this is this i just this is this fascinates me because well frankly uh i like to have a good picture of what, understanding of what 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 jesus is doing here um because here's uh, uh, one one last bit. Um, the uh, <laughs> oh, this is it, it blows my mind every, every time I think about it. I'll just spit it out here. Uh, does anybody know the name of Ludwig Wittgenstein? Is that the Monrovian? Uh, I mean, he's a German philosopher. Um, like, uh, uh but what? Mm -hmm. Yeah, from like the early 20th century. But I mean, was a, a, just a, a profound thinker, still regarded uh, uh, as among like the, the giants of, of the humanities, of the philosophy, and, and who are just always just, just brilliant thinkers, but with a philosophy that's, that's so hard to, to, to grasp, uh, but, but powerful thinkers. And, but he was not a Christian. But one of the things that he had said in, uh, I believe it was his work, uh, let's see, make sure I get this right. Yeah, In Search of Meaning, where 
he said this. If a man could write a book on ethics, which really was a book on ethics, this book would, with an explosion, destroy all other books in the world. And this is one of those rare instances where, frankly, even from a Christian perspective, because he's exercising clear thinking about the nature of the problem of right behavior in a world, that if this sort of thing actually existed, that it would just, by way of explosion, wipe away everything else. And what's interesting also about that is that there's, there's a seeming vision in what it is that we're about to read that appears as though that this is actually what Jesus is doing. When he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. Because Jesus is about, uh, um, about seeing to it that we are a people who are characterized by actions that are right in the sight of the living God. And if when that sort of things happens, its power and its influence is indeed explosive. So, but... Uh, I've said too much, I think. So why don't we actually read the Bible? You know, would that be a good idea? Okay, cool. Are there any questions so far? Are we all on the same page? I know Faith is. You're like my cool, like, magician's assistant. So I thought, anyway. So. Okay. No, no. <laughs> I would not put anybody through that. So, all right. But yeah. Uh, so let's uh, let's read through. All right. Uh, yeah, Matthew chapter 5, verse, uh, verses 1, or verse 1, and, uh, yeah, verses 1 and 2. And uh, I want to see if there's actually any variance in, in our translations here. Uh, let's, let's read this together. This is, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, or in this case, the hillside. Uh, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, uh, verse 2. Luke, can you read verse 2? Uh, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... Okay. Uh, does anybody else have any variance on verse 2? Yep. Then he began to teach them, saying... Okay. Are those two different ways of saying the same thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I can confirm that Jesse's... That's a paraphrase of what is more of a word-for-word word in Luke's translation. So, Luke, I'm so, you are more holy than Jesse. So, just so you know, you, you got you got a holiness token. You're the cleaner. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, it's it's so weird. Yeah, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, "That that's what's in the Greek text." Uh, now, I don't think it's ever been in anyone's mind that Jesus is trying to teach as a mime or like playing charades what teacher doesn't open his mouth I've been opening my mouth this whole time like what, what what's the point in saying and he opened his mouth and began to teach them and saying <laughs> we didn't write it down so this is all oral right right so he's not giving them instructions like like that and and this is perplexed um, I mean, scholars, 
because it's not immediately clear why, why it is he says, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them because that is totally redundant. What teacher? Do, yes, go ahead. To me, it reminds me that in the beginning, God said. Mm -hmm. So God spoke. Yeah. And how powerful spoken word is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and to the effect where the way that um, that that prophetic oracles are so often framed with the open mouth or speaking as they were speaking the words of God that that this whole thing that Jesus is about to teach it's like it's been it's 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 dense with a divine weight to it that is not merely just another new idea. And by the way, this was the other, the last point that I wanted to try and make when we're trying to look over this sort of thing, is that when we're talking about the Christian life and what a disciple does, a disciple looks like. It is easy to reduce the Christian ethic and righteousness as merely moral improvement. When God makes a disciple, there will be moral improvement, rest assured. But if you stop there, you haven't gotten discipleship. It's more than that. It is far more than that. This is the way in which they're talking about the sort of righteousness that's actually fulfilled. Uh, because... I happen to know a lot of people, uh, well-meaning Christians and nominal Christians, who do think that provided that there's just moral improvement in my life, that that sort of thing that is satisfying to God's purposes, not just for my life, but for everybody. Because he's, he, he, he's, he's not going to stop uh, working and fashioning us into his image. And that is improvement. But... Uh, improvement for the sake of improvement falls well short of the goal of discipleship. Indeed, holiness, as it were. And again, let's, let's try and put a little bit of meat on these bones. Is discipleship optional here? In the kingdom of heaven. No. Which is weird because like we don't, we, we think about, I mean, uh, our, our lives and our Christian walk is something that happens at salvation. That's what the sort of thing that makes you a Christian. When you confess with your heart, Jesus is Lord and believe, or, or, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ raised from the dead, you will be saved. That's Romans. That's all true. Uh but isn't it strange how there's like this distinction between Christians and disciples? Um, or as I remember it being told me uh, in the community I lived in, sometimes people would ask, are you a Christian or a Catholic? And I was like, which is their way of saying, like, are you a nominal Christian? Or are you one of those like born again Christians? Like the Christian that actually does stuff and uh, a sort of thing. Uh, 
And but what's <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's weird. But but it was it was a, it was a weird thing. It's still a weird thing. But it there should be no distinction between a Christian and a disciple of Christ. If a Christian is not a disciple of Christ, we've seriously misunderstood what it is that we mean by a Christian. And so if um, claiming to be a Christian, walking as a Christian, doing the things that Jesus did uh, as a result of his transforming work in our lives and conforming to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ, uh, discipleship is a non-negotiable. I may, I, uh, and that's that. That sounds hard, but um, if if this is if this is what God is after, I don't see any other way. And granted, what what a life of discipleship looks like, whether it's from your first step or your millionth step, is going to be very different. That there's very immature disciples, and and we're not saying that. That, the, that what a disciple looks like is always the same based upon, uh, um, how, how do I say this? Because this is, this is a, this is a um, none of this happens apart from, from, from sheer unmerited grace. Uh, it's only by God's grace that any of this thing could ever be possible and will always be from beginning to end a gift of grace. Uh, as it says in Ephesians, I mean, our here, it's, it is by God's grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. Uh, and so, but, but anyway, you were going to say something, Doug. Well, the only distinction I can see between the disciples is that to be an effective disciple, you need to be a mature Christian. And Baby Christians are kind of not there yet. Absolutely, They're still learning. Absolutely, and and frankly, right. So, and that's why something like this is so important. I think for a church like ours, where our mission is to grow mature disciples, that there's a measure of difference between somebody's maturity, between whether or not somebody has just started or has been a mature Christian all throughout. Uh, but it's that maturity that, frankly will always get stunted if we think that the only goal of discipleship is moral improvement. It's, it's always going to fall short. Uh, that, that God was not out to just simply making a more moral people. Uh, he's wanting to, to, to be salt and light, a transformed people. Uh, so, so, but you're right. No, and thank you for that, 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 I would say like that, that distinction, that's a helpful distinction in saying, okay, yeah, there are more mature disciples, less mature disciples. Um, some who like to blurt out their mouths and just say anything that happens to pop in their head, like Peter. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and some who sell their master for 30 pieces of silver. A disciple. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so let's let's carry on. And here's oh man, gosh, I just uh, I can't stop from being geeky uh, because it's who I am. Uh, so let's I want to read this through here. Actually, uh, 
Jesse, would you mind uh, just reading through uh, verses 3 through 10? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. All right. So here's a question. Uh, okay, what you, your version says blessed. Are there any other variations in that? in that translation, or any other translations. Yeah, it's usually one of those two, blessed or happy. And just, let me just ask you this question. In your mind, is there a significant difference between being blessed or what it means to be blessed and what it means to be happy? Yes. Yeah, there's a pretty big difference. Yeah, so uh, Teresa, how would you describe the difference between being blessed or being happy? Happy is the moment. Yeah. Blessed is, is can grow. Okay. Out. Okay. So, so where when you think about happiness, you're thinking about just like a temporal affair, and, and the blessedness is something that's kind of enduring. Are there any other ways of thinking about this? Kind of thing. But I, yeah. for me, like I, I consider happy or happiness is is a feeling. Yeah. Uh, like I can feel depressed, but still be blessed. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I can feel like my like what's going on inside of me cannot feel all that great. Uh, and I think like Jesus in the garden is a, is a reasonable example of that. Where like I mean he's distraught. Yeah, but yeah, at the same time, like he's not any less blessed than he was, you know, when he first was born. Like, right, right. So I mean, the the, the blessing is how, maybe we'll put it this way: it's it's um well, it, it's it's deeper, but it's 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 divine in its orientation. In other words, whatever state it is that you're in um, is. It's because the hand of God is sort of upon it and upon you, it has this nature of being blessed. I mean, maybe we mean that when we say hashtag blessed. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, but I'm just going to call it just like divine, that sort of thing. Right, right. So, okay. Uh, and I'm going to throw something at you. Uh, this... Word that's the Greek word for uh, for what what's ha- what's translated there blessed or happy. It says makarios. Everybody say makarios. Okay, uh, that's good enough because I know we're going to have soon. Um, okay, makarios is the word that that's that's used. What? Oh well, no, that's that's the Hebrew, but um, which we don't know if that's the word that he had used. 
because there's also two uh, variant, or not variant, uh, two alternative ways of speaking about blessed in the Old Testament with the Hebrew, as it would be, asherle, but it's, it's not, we don't know that that's what he's using here. But here's the deal. Go ahead. It sounds like he used Hebrew with a French accent. Oh, well. Just, just saying. Sometimes <laughs> it rolls off the tongue. Um, so so the, the problem, blessed or happy, why there's this variance translation is that there is no English equivalent for Makarios. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. There is no English equivalent. Doesn't that just make anybody excited? It makes me excited. But here's, here's the problem. Because in Greek, there's, there's eucharistos, which typically means is more translated blessed and blessed with this theological orientation that, that, that speaks about this. Um, there's other ways to be talking about happy, but that's clear, clearly what Jesus is talking about here is not just simply one about emotions, which, interestingly enough, we... We would all like or appreciate to be in some kind of state of just perpetual happiness. And I don't think God ever intended for us to give us a perpetual state of happiness. Because uh, human beings by our design have emotions that go up and down. Uh, and there's people who, who follow paths towards perpetual happiness, and we call them addicts. We call them hedonists. We call them uh, um, self-centered brats who, who th their only preoccupation is, is to just sustain this emotion of happiness that as long as you possibly can before it eventually is fleeting. And that's not what is it's happening about here. But here's what I would uh, submit to you. That Makarios is actually clearer, or it's, 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 it's closer to a translation that might sound like this. Where... Akin to a congratulations, not akin to uh, um, uh, um, a, a, a glorious achievement, um, but rather, I'll call it this. Is the good life. Which, believe it or not, I think of all things, this speaks to our heart's hunger, and it's a good hunger, but that we'll never be able to get the good life that we're hungering for until we're hungry for something else more. Like being hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And, and what, what I would submit to you here, and then we're going to close because I know people are waiting for cake. So the one more I talk, the more I'm keeping people or a chaotic birthday or a chaotic birthday celebration is that that the good life 
begins. If we're talking about blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they, for they will be filled. Uh, blessed are the, the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, uh, for they'll be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, uh, for they will see God. It's, it's, it's the way, this is what I want to, to, to try and, and, and get clear, that the list of qualities that, that are, that are, um, that, that, that Jesus lists out as he's beginning this teaching. It's like a way of saying to his disciples to say, this is where you are, and I've got you where I want you and where you need to be. To be poor in spirit, to be meek, to mourn, uh, to be a peacemaker, to be pure in heart. That, that we can, the good life can be a reality when, when God has us where he wants us. And indeed, to, to be poor in spirit or to be meek is to be in, in this, this place where, where, it, I, I, I like to think, liken it to, to I mean, uh, um, soft clay or soft Play-Doh that um, hasn't been uh, so exposed um, and torn apart that, 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 that it's, it's, um, it's no longer useful for anything, but it can actually be molded and shaped into something that's new. Uh, and interestingly enough, uh, that... Even while scholars are are, they debate uh, uh, all, all the time about what it means to be poor in spirit. Some people say it's more spiritually oriented. Some people say it's more economically oriented. And I think it's that splitting hairs between between two things that can actually be complementary, not antithetical. But that's in a whole other situation. Um, Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. And that you're lacking without him. I think that's a great way to put it. And I don't think you're ever going to get the good life unless you have that feeling of needing God in your life. Right. And, and it's, again, a, a, a more or less uh, contemporary writing that seems to reflect that in the Dead Sea Scrolls compares being poor in spirit with being, having a hardness of heart. Uh, now I'm not saying that that's exactly what's what's happening here, but I think you you've 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 gotten to the heart of it uh, in saying that that to be these sorts of things is to be in the place where you've recognized in 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 your heart in the seat of your emotions, your intellect, and being to say, "Wow, God, I need you." Uh, and uh, when when not just one person does that, but a whole 
host of disciples do that. And together, their actions are oriented and reflected the rule of the kingdom of heaven. That's when they're going to live different lives that could you could never not notice it to be salt and to be light. Uh, people who actually live as though God were in charge because they've recognized in their heart of hearts that they need Jesus and that they need God. And that in the words of, uh, uh, that stuck with me from a, a white rapper named KJ52 is that a life without God is a life that is never fixed. <laughs> um, and so if nothing else, this is the sort of thing that I want you to try carrying into and re while you're reading through the Sermon on the Mount uh, in a way that, that gives us a clear picture or an image of the sort of person God is shaping his disciples to be. Go ahead. I, I was going to ask, I mean, because like when you were translating it into the good life, I, I mean, to me, this, this reminds me of, I think it's John 10, yeah. Uh, when Jesus says, uh, life, I've come to bring life and life more abundantly. Um, and I think sometimes we interpret that as, in the same way. I've, I've In the last two years, I've heard people talking about this from the happiness thing where, like, if you follow Jesus, you will always be in this state of explicit joy. Uh, like you're always going to feel good. Uh, like following Jesus, even if you're broke, like if you shame on you if you feel depressed or if you feel frustrated or anything like that, yeah, or, or even angry, uh, you should always feel happy. Um, but I, I think, like, what to me, when, when I think of this, uh, the good life, when I think of the abundant life, it, it's it's like, um, you know, living to the fullest, uh, it, it's like, like, the, like part of following Jesus means you can experience all of it and it's all good and not just like it's not only the what we would call good but like god has called all of it good because in that we've grown to i, I guess or, or learn to lean upon him that that we can be rich even when we're poor because we have jesus that we can i i, I can be blessed when i'm poor in spirit because i because i have jesus absolutely um, yeah i mean and, and a way of putting it in using a vernacular, it is that they actually have about Makarios in saying, blessed are you when, blessed are you when, which, I mean, is totally full of the Old Testament, especially the Psalms. Um, the Psalms and Isaiah are loom large behind this. Is like this reorientation of, of, of saying, here's what you think the good life is, and I'm going to tell you, or, or, or I'm going to redefine it reshape it, reform it in your life so that when you think of this thing called the good life, uh, that, that your heart isn't going to be attached to something that is not going to last or save you. Um, it, that, that you're not going to be um, uh, um, to, to, to lose sight of, of God um, in pursuing that are things that are good and that are a part of the good life, but that you want them um, apart from the source of its goodness in God alone. Uh, and uh, and the good life, makarios, uh, begins 
and ends with the kingdom of heaven. Uh, that's th- that, uh, that state of blessedness or happiness, um, that, that's, that's where it begins. So, but we, um, we've gone over time. Uh, it's not really actually, but anyway, uh, how about we, um, we, we, we can pray and then we can ask more questions if we want. So sound good. Okay, cool. Well, Lord, uh, we thank you, uh, Lord, so much for this day. We thank you for, um, Father, that you, that, um, you didn't leave us to our own devices. Um, and that Lord, uh, you actually came, uh, not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it uh, and to accomplish something that we could never be on our own. Um, and that is uh, to be uh, the people of God uh, or who, 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 uh, who live as, as, as it truly is that you are in charge um, and that we, we, we offer our lives to this world um, Lord, as, as salt and light, uh, as a blessing to those around us, uh, but not because, um, because um, we're so great, but because you're just that kind of God. Uh, Lord, uh, continue to challenge us, shape us, mold us, and use us. Um, Lord, to, to your glory and your kingdom, uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Are we made in the image of God, though, and is God always happy? No. Oh, no, no. no. That's different.